episode 7 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. I'm your co-host Russ, along with Mike, and... That's me, Mike. It's almost Easter. (laughs) It's almost Easter, okay, and that means I just want to wish all you Christians out there a happy Holy Week, and uh, this is worth noting because... um, if you happen to be musically inclined, you don't have to be Christian. If you like music, there's lots of great music for Holy Week. I'm talking, of course, about the Johann Sebastian Bach Passions, the St. Matthew Passion and the St. John Passion. Okay, So this is the week uh, that I, every year, um, kind of unpack those uh, or you know get those out of my collection and put them on just to kind of get in the... Uh, the Holy Week mood, I guess, you know? Yeah, I've got a few recordings of each of those. Yeah. It's a nice Sunday morning or afternoon listen. Right. It's the entire afternoon. Yeah, Yeah, they're very long. (laughs) But a a very enjoyable one. Um, The St. Matthew Passion, the mighty St. Matthew Passion, maybe one of the uh, greatest works in the history of uh, the Western world. Okay, and the St. John Passion, the little more somber kind of St. John mm-hmm. Passion. Um, what's funny is those are those all uh, recount the events of um, Holy Thursday and Good Friday, right? But there's it's really funny in a in the a uh, in a religion as musical as Christianity, um, the most important um, you know day Easter really doesn't have much music. You know, you think of Christmas and there's just this overload of. Um, all kinds of music, sacred and secular, both. Okay, I, right. I always I always claim that there are three kinds of uh, Christmas songs. There's like the religious music, mm-hmm. then there's like uh, just the uh, these secular songs like Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman, right. and then there are just songs about winter, which aren't really Christmas songs, like Winter Wonderland or Sleigh Ride. They're not Especially really Christmas if you're in the songs. Southern Hemisphere, you know. Yeah, I know. Anyway, yeah. you move over to Easter, and there's really not well, I don't want to say nothing, but there's not much. There is a Bach, um, like Easter cantata, or I guess, right. right? But it's very short, and it's uh, it's not as uh, substantial as the the passions. Okay, and the reason why I really wanted to bring this up is because last year there were some fantastic recordings of the Bach passions and a few others that I want to um, mention too. Um, let me see. First of all, the the ones to really check out, I think, are the ones uh, by uh, Ma- Masaaki Suzuki and Bach Collegium Japan of both the St. Matthew Passion, the mighty St. Matthew Passion, and the St. John Passion, which was released later in the year. The St. Matthew Passion was released at around Easter last year. And then um, everything went into lockdown, and uh, Suzuki and the Bach Collegium Japan decided, hey, let's record the St. John Passion, you know, while we're locked down. They, they did that, and they came out around September. Uh, highly, highly recommended recordings, both of them. And uh, if you if you are happen to have SACD equipment, they are both SACDs, so fantastic um, sound quality on those as well. Great, great singing. I highly recommended. Yeah, these are nice recordings. I listened to both of these. Yeah, yeah, I, I did too. Those are going to be my uh, preferences for this year. I want to point out another one, another Saint John Passion. This one by. Uh, Collegium Vocale Gent and Philippe Herrevega, the um, um, conductor of the St. John Passion, which was released at about the same time last year as the uh, St. Matthew Passion by uh, Suzuki. Okay, so this is another one. This is a pretty lean-sounding recording. Uh, it's um, Although the, the Suzuki one isn't really fully, you know, isn't really big, 
you know, have big orchestral sound either. Uh, we're going for a much leaner sound these days. Okay, so it's got a slightly different quality to it. I would recommend that one too. Okay, if you if you're really uh, into your um, you know, uh, Holy Week passions, your Good Friday passions. There's the Richard Daniel Poor recording of the Passion of Yeshua, which we talked about. That's uh, was nominated for a Grammy this year. Um, I thought it was okay, really. Uh, it was a pretty ordinary setting, but the text was pretty interesting because it kind of takes a Middle Eastern point of view, and I thought that was kind of intriguing. Okay, it's it's very well you know orchestrated and things, but I didn't just find it terribly exciting. The 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 music supports the text well, okay, and and then there's one more, and this is going to lead us into our first recording. Um, there's a Handel passion uh, passion by Handel that I have never heard before, the Brokus passion. This is going to be the there's a new recording of it, and this is this week. I haven't listened to it yet. This is going to be the first time I hear it. It's very exciting actually. Okay, and. Um, Oh god, I don't have the uh information in front of me here. I, I don't I don't the, the thing I remember about it is that the soprano Sandrine Pio is on it and we're going to be talking about her uh shortly, okay? Because she has been pretty active this year. Uh she sang on this um The Brooks Passion. Um I want to see who um I just want to get this up and see who record who the group was. Okay. Oh, it's Archangelo. I love this group. Archangelo, Jonathan Cohen playing the harpsichord, and he's also the director of the group. Um, yeah, so uh, knowing from what I've heard of other Archangelo recordings, uh, this should be uh, kind of light but fairly fast-paced. Uh, performance. I don't want to say yet because I haven't heard it, but I'm sure it'll kind of be the same. They 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 get this real like nice rhythmic spring to their uh, baroque music playing, um, so I recommend them. I, I think I'm going to recommend that without hearing it. Give it a listen. Um, also, uh, Sandrine Pio is one of the um, is the soprano on the recording. Uh, let me see. What did I just do? I just get, took this away. The other two uh, soloists. Are let me check, get this up. Okay, Stuart Jackson tenor and Constantine Kimmel Krimmel, sorry, Constantine Krimmel is the baritone on the recording. So I am looking forward to spending an entire afternoon because it's also very long. This is a two and a half hour long work. People had a lot of time back in those days, huh? They just uh, sit in the theater. <laughs> Listen to there. It's before YouTube and podcasts. So. Yeah, their passion. Okay, let's go back to the past. I just spend an entire day just listening to one piece of music. I think that's a. I think that's a great way to spend the day. Okay, so anyway, Sandrine Pio is on that. Now we had mentioned Sandrine Pio on this um, podcast before when uh, we talked about he the Haydn twenty thirty two series, the latest release. Right. Uh, there. Okay, we said that it was kind of mercilessly pushed and all that, but the real highlight of that was um, an aria or a, a work by a Haydn work that Sandrine Pio sang on and she was just really in top form. It really stood out um, as, a, as a special performance. So I really wanted to hear her new album, which is um, called Claire Obscure. And it's music by Richard Strauss, Alban Berg, and uh, Zem Zemlinski, Alexander von Zemlinski. Um, it's this sort of false advertising here in the title because it's got a French title and right. uh, all the works are in German. So go figure. I don't know. Maybe it just uh, 
They're, they're appealing to the, the French record label and the French soprano are appealing to the uh, French audience. Okay, so we gave this a listen this week, all right? Now, the um, the program has um, Waldgesprach by Alexander von Zemlinski, and it has um, one of the feature points is Alban Berg's Seven Early Songs, okay, which I don't really hear often, so that was a real treat to hear that. They're actually very appealing and very interestingly orchestrated. There are all sorts of kind of quivering lines just kind of intersecting each other and just changing it's almost like kaleidoscopic in every song i really liked that a lot okay but the key um songs on this are first of all richard strauss's uh song morgan the morning right uh which got a lot of recordings last year as well as the violetta lida which is the four last songs very very famous uh the most famous recording being by elizabeth schwarzkopf back in the day uh, I still think of that recording when I think of these pieces, that soaring soprano line, okay, like this beam of light being flashed through the heavens, like the bat signal, but it, forget that reference, that wasn't good, <laughs> but it's just kind of, uh, <laughs> just this beam of light in the air that's kind of, you know, in the dark, lighting up the darkness, okay, um, I'm going to use that metaphor again pretty soon, okay, now last year, uh, another odd thing, more I want to talk about this more. The song Morgan, the um, the text of the song is about kind of um, tomorrow. Oh, Morgan, it doesn't mean morning. I mean, yeah, it means tomorrow, basically tomorrow morning, I guess, when the sun rises. Um, it talks about, you know, we will walk again or things like this. Uh, you know, so it's sort of like a very positive song about how the future is going to be okay. And a lot of um, sopranos last year picked this song up. It became almost like a, a staple, you know, a kind of staple of last year's the lockdown where everybody was um, suffering, and they said, "Oh, t- and tomorrow will be great again." Okay, um, I'm not sure what this poem is actually about. It kind of seems to me, and didn't do any research into it, that she's kind of wishing that her dead lover were alive again, and she's kind of imagining that they're going to be together. <laughs> That's kind of how I interpreted it, but I'm not sure. So anyway, that along with, uh, if you remember, Puccini's Nessun Dorma were the two big triumphant songs from last year. Okay, and the uh, four last songs. Now, there are three other recordings of these that came out last year. All of them noteworthy. I would recommend them all. Okay, they are by... uh, I don't have my notes ready today. I don't know what's happening to me. Here we go. Okay. Uh, The first one was Lisa Davidson. She's a Norwegian soprano. Uh, and um, this woman was born with a Viking helmet on her head. She's she's born to sing Wagner. Okay, she's got this big soprano voice. And uh, we'll be talking about her a little bit more in the, in the coming weeks because she's got a new album out too uh, of uh, Beethoven, Verdi, and Wagner arias. Or songs, I'm not sure. Uh, then there was uh, Diana Damrau, German soprano, singing both all of these tracks. And... In these works, and then Elsa Dreisig, who is a French soprano, you know, despite the last name, she she's actually got a Danish, she's got a French parent and a Danish parent, so she's sort of both. Uh, her recording was really interesting because she um, she did the Strauss four last songs and she split them all up. So one of them appears at the beginning of the program, and then another one's inserted towards the middle, then near the end, the third one, and then she ends with the fourth one. It was kind of nice, and the other songs that she included in her program, which were by. Um, Rachmaninoff and Dupac. It was pretty interesting. There was a French, uh, French, Russian, and German 
she's singing in all three languages. It was a really good program. Uh, that album is called Morgen by Elsa Dreisig. I recommend that. Well, she, she's um, a lighter voice than someone like Lisa Davidson. And Diana Damrau, of course, that's a big room-filling voice as well. Okay, so we get to um, Sandrine Pio, and uh, she's a French soprano, and um, not a huge voice, but it's very strong and really can ringing in the uh, the high end, um, in in a really kind of exciting way. Um, the thing that marks this program um, out, or her singing out, is that she she takes sort of a different approach to these arias. Like she doesn't really. Um, I, I use that beam of light um, metaphor, and um, if you think about um, the physical properties of light, you know they say it can be a particle or it can be a wave. I almost feel like the other three sopranos and normal, the the usual soprano that sings this work, kind of projects this wave-like beam of light into the universe. You know these uh, really exciting kind of, you know. Uh, high soprano lines that really died with with these with Strauss's four last songs I think they were the last works that were written in that style uh, the, it's a tradition that started with Wagner went through Mahler and really ended with Strauss um, so this is this is the uh, the end of that Pio's um, um, approach is more like a particle of light okay what I mean by this is that um the line just doesn't like it's not just this legato in the same tone she changes the color of the phrase the intonation the, the color of the tone in mid flight it's it's pretty interesting actually like the, she's interpreting like within the line i thought i thought it was really interesting and compelling it was it was something new for me um well, that's with the the title here right this is the claire obscure yeah, which is the french version of uh Chiaroscuro, light yeah, chiaroscuro, right? Right, in yeah. the pictorial representation of those elements. In, of course, here we have it in sound, but right. When I saw the title, though, I was thinking of the uh, the topics of these of the uh, works that she chose. Like they're all contrasted with each other. That's no, what I thought actually, too. But when yeah. I listened to it, this this recording actually has great continuity. Um, yeah. Even though I I was expecting. Because I didn't know the the uh, Zemelinsky work, and they yeah. started out with that. But what I felt was really good continuity through them, and what sort of connects them all is the the melodic con- content. the The melodies are just all really beautiful, and mm-hmm. uh, they relate well in the sequence here to each other. So I found it sort of an easy journey to go along with her voice. And this is not usually music, uh, just listening to uh, classical music soprano voice for me. I'll usually tire after one work and I'll want to uh, listen to something else uh, because it's not my main sort of thing that I focus on. But I really enjoyed listening to this from, from beginning to end and the way her phrasing and sort of foresight through all of the works and then putting them all together right from beginning to end. I really felt I was along for the ride on the performances here. And her voice, the intricacies and the little nuances that she has in the phrasing and 
Yeah. Just a little now, musical say, elements that are not, like you say, her voice isn't overpowering, but she does have a lot of small things that you pick up on in her voice that she can do that are very subtle. Uh, but it drew me in. And, you know, it's a very, very well thought out program with a lot of continuity in the melodic nature of the works. So I was engaged right through it all. Yeah, by the end, not only was I engaged, but in the, um, once we got into the four last songs, which I feel are the highlight of this program, um, the song Morgan, her version of it, it's slightly, it's slightly, slightly fast. And usually sopranos like to have a slower tempo in this so they can really just, you can get that whole luscious tone, you know, out of it. But she actually kind of goes through this a bit, a bit more quickly, going more for the line, the connect, connectedness of the line. Um, but by the time we got to the four last songs, the the, the second one of them, Septembre, the first words, um, the image, Der Garden Trauert, Kühl singt in die Blumen der Regen, okay? The garden mourns, the cool rain sinks into the flowers. The way she sang this, it was just magical. I really had, I don't know, maybe I just connected with the text or through her voice or something like that, and I could see that that garden. You know, it was it was it was really an amazing moment. There's a bit of a a little bit of a one of this, you know, um, bit of an epiphany for me there. And this happened again in the third song, uh, Beim Schlafengehen. Oh man, I can't say this. Schlafengehen. Beim Schlafengehen, another Hermann Hesse poem. Um, there, yeah, real magic in this. I would like everybody to hear this and uh, let us know what you think, actually, uh, how you, how you um, responded to this. Excellent program. I recommend this very highly. Okay, anything else? You want to say anything else about that, Russ? You no, okay? just that I enjoyed it more than I would normally uh, be drawn into just listening to a whole album of classical soprano voice. I found her voice very endearing. It, probably on any material, I'm going to enjoy the, the tonality of her voice, but the melodic nature of all these works is very compelling, and uh, they're played in... A supporting role to her voice and uh right. yeah just uh enjoyed it right to the end so yeah worth yeah. a listen i'll probably listen yeah. to it again yeah one more note uh, orchestra victor hugo uh jean-francois verdier or the uh the the um the accompanist well, you can't really call them accompanists because uh the orchestration is really a very important part of these songs um they really stand out in the berg i thought the seven early songs uh, now, usually you're you're very aware of the uh, the orchestration in the um, the four last songs and the and the Strauss orchestrations, but that, I didn't think that was the case here. It's, you really, I was really focused on her because again, she's given a great performance, and I think they just kind of lay back a bit. Uh, German uh, German uh, composers from this era, from Wagner until around Strauss, were are really famous for their beautiful um, brass. Um, settings and this is the case in the, the four last songs as well by Strauss but it doesn't really stand out here so much no. yeah I, 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 my attention wasn't drawn to it let's say but I have no problem with that it's it was good playing and it was it's really um, Sandrine Piola's um, recording recommended please listen to that okay let's go to a big bad 20th century um composer who really whose music really isn't very scary okay a lot of people you know they hear names like schoenberg or somebody like that and they're still kind of like oh it's gonna be you know it's modern okay it's modern music now first of all i want to say 
Um, but is it adult? It's really music? nothing. Is it adult? It is adult. It could music, be modern. There's nothing not modern about Schoenberg. That music was written a hundred years ago. Yes. Um, I would like to, by the way, all you scholars out there, modernism. Okay, the adjective for modernism is usually um, written as modern, which I think is really crazy because modern means contemporary today, right? But they're using it in, you know, as an adjective for modernist, uh, modernism. I think the adjective should be modernist so that we know that it's like from that period and not like music being written today. Okay, so this kind of drives me crazy. One of, one of my little pet peeves about um, music scholarship. They People weren't forward-thinking in their terminology. People wonder why, uh, you know, most of the world doesn't listen to classical music. Well, I guess there are a lot of reasons. But one of them is because I feel like scholars just make it more obscure than it needs to be. Okay. I, I, I would really like to undo that. All right. Anyway, the composer I'm talking about is George Ligeti, uh, one of the 20th century's um, great avant-garde composers. And he's really unique. His music is always very unique because... Um, after Schoenberg, the, the style that really took off was um, the 12-tone style of Schoenberg. And um, let's see, there's the neoclassicism of Stravinsky, too, that kind of was was in competition with that. And I would claim that Bartok's music is highly you know percussive, rhythmic, and uh, looking back to the earlier eras uh, in, in all that modernism uh, was also a big influence, too. But Ligeti, okay, he... Like Boulez, like you know these kind of you know the, these uh, the serial composers, he emerged in that period. But he didn't write serial music. His music was based a lot on timbre, and it was very. It wasn't tonal, but it was it was based on timbre. It was based on the sound that it made, and the intervals between tones. Okay, he used this a lot. Most people will know Ligeti's music from uh, the movie Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Um, it's the music that you you know the his work Lux Eterna. Eternal Light, it's from the uh, Requiem Mass, here we are back in Christianity again, um, uses quarter tones, and it's a it's a really intriguing work to listen to from beginning to end. If you've never heard it, seek it out. It's worth hearing. Luke's Eterna by Ligeti. And it was, you heard it in the movie 2001 every time the monolith appeared, okay? It was sort of a... Also, one of his, um, he didn't write much for the piano until later okay and he he did a work called music musica ricercata and there's a two note you know it starts there's a two note um theme in one of those that appears in the movie eyes wide shut stanley kubrick really liked his music okay all right so at the end of his life ligeti started writing etudes for the piano now he himself wasn't a pianist most of his music was for large orchestra and really kind of often odd sort of sounding orchestras too. Um, the thing that marks Ligeti's music out, one of the things that happened after World War II was, um, you know, we're experiencing something like this now. Um, emotion went out the window. Like people didn't want to feel anything anymore, I guess after the numbness of the discovery of the Holocaust and the, the horrors of, you know, the, the atomic bomb and all the horrors that happened, at, you know, especially towards the end of that war. Um, people artists decided, okay, no more emotions. And they did this really intellectual music. Well, Ligeti's music is intellectual too, but it's got kind of a, a humor to it too. He's got a funny kind of playing around sort of quality to him as well. Uh, and that makes his music uh, 
you know, more appealing than most of the rest from this period. Uh, this one piece that he wrote, uh, it's, I don't remember what it's called, but it's for 100 metronomes. And when they set 100 metronomes ticking at the same time, and of course they all wind down at different speeds. And by the end, there's just some spectacular rhythmic juxtapositions. <laughs> it's it's a pretty funny if you think about it, you know, but uh, a 20th century sort of idea. So this one, anyway, towards the end, yeah. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I was listening, I've listened to his uh, symphonies and other yeah. things. And here, these are... Well, these are etudes, right? So, yeah. in a sense, there's you know studies for the piano, and I felt that with them. I felt rather than them being uh, composed pieces to make a a long melodic statement or something, right. that they're rather explorations of something to be worked out. Exactly, and that's what all of his music is really. It, well, my first listen, I couldn't enjoy them too much as a performance piece of a composition. So I right. started, the, when I listened to them again, I tried to put myself in the piano player's position as sort of something to be worked out. And then yeah. I realized that these are probably, well, they're absolutely quite challenging to play, but they must oh, be boy. fun they? Yeah. to play as a study in piano. And when I listened to them thinking of them from the the piano player's standpoint, I could enjoy them a lot more because I found that the, the main thing I got, well, there are the intervals and there's lots of things that work themselves up to the extremes of the keyboard uh, in in various pieces. But the focus for me was on the, the rhythmic content. There's mm -hmm. in, inter, very interesting rhythms and counter rhythms uh, contrasting in both hands that would sound mm. in, incredibly dif difficult to coordinate together, uh, especially when you don't necessarily have a melody line. You, you're dealing with a series of intervals that are going through. But worked in with all of that is uh, a lot of interesting dynamics, too. And uh, this is, uh, who's the pianist? Danny Driver? Danny Driver. Yeah, we yeah. should mention, this is the, the recording is on Hyperion Records. Hyperion. The 18 etudes of Giorgi Ligeti by Danny Driver, who I yeah. believe is a British pianist. And the other thing that was interesting to me too is trying to just sort out because there's 18 of them here is that the the titles are in various languages. Yeah, <laughs> they change I, I really enjoyed this too. They're all fanciful as well. They're yes. kind of really interesting. Uh, the one that I thought was interesting, there's one on there. It's called Galamb Borong. Yeah, I think that's what Indonesian or something. Well, no, it. That's what I thought, and I, I no. looked up. What is that? So I the I didn't look it up. <laughs> the the sounds you hear are inspired by Indonesian gamelan music. That sort okay. of rhythmic pulse to it, uh, as I think Debussy was influenced a bit by that too. However, mm -hmm. in, when you hear galam borong, it sounds well, that sounds Indonesian to me, but it's actually uh, Hungarian, and ah. it means melancholy pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the image I had at all of that yeah. uh, piece, but it is kind of cool. And there's a lot of really busy rhythmic pieces, but there are a few points in there where I don't, you know, his music is not, it, it's not uh, really tonal and not purposely atonal, but there are a few passages that contrast. There's uh, the 15th one, White on White. Yeah, uh, start out with a really 
a kind of beautiful sequence of intervals that uh, I thought contrasted a lot with the complex rhythms of the other pieces. So there's, you know, a diversity of sounds in here. Uh, but yeah, the- I, I think when I when I listen to them, uh, if I approach it as a a study of what he's exploring, I found it more satisfying than in thinking of you know what sort of overarching composition I'm I'm listening to. I, on the first listen, I was a bit bewildered, and then when I went back right. the second time, I found more to sort of latch on to and identify with as he was, as the performances went on. Yeah, that is true of of classical music in general. Uh, the more you kind of know about it, like the more interesting it is, needless to say. But uh, this this almost becomes required in uh, the 20th century because each composer had his own really unique style. Whereas, say, in Mozart's day or in the Baroque era, there was sort of a... Uh, yeah, I hate to use this this um, analogy, but it's, you're sort of making a chest of drawers, really. And some people were just really excellent artisans at that. There were just these forms and they kind of, yeah. you know, followed the forms, which is not the case anymore. That doesn't mean that's not great music. I mean, it certainly is. Uh, it's really what happens within that, uh, <laughs> the designs on that chest of drawers that make it really special. Uh, one of my favorite work on this, by the way, is uh, L'Escalier du Diable, the the staircase of the devil. Okay, and uh, you can kind of imagine the, the poor pianist walking up the uh, staircase of the devil. Okay, it's, 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 it's these kind of upward sort of like... Uh, I don't want to say staccato, bouncing sort of um, figuration, moving up the piano, up, 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 and it goes way up into the the very you know highest notes of the piano, which you rarely hear, and then kind of comes kind of tumbling down. That's the one I was talking about middle. going to extremes. Yeah, yeah, that oh. was, it was really exciting to listen to. I it liked it a lot. Funny. It was kind of funny as well. I, you know, he's got a he's got a witty sense of humor, sort of I you know sort of like Mozart had, except that in he's in a modern musical his own kind of modern musical style. Yeah, Ligeti, these, these works, um, I think these are the, the last great piano works ever written so far. Um, these were the last works, book three were the last works he wrote before he died. Um, I'm not sure, you know, the last one I think was written in 2000, 2001, and he died in 2006. And I'm wondering if he was just sick for the last five years and would have written more. I'm not really sure. I'm not up on that. But, uh, yeah, fantastic titles. Um, this is music. It's a little bit of a challenge. You have to sort of, um, I guess, adjust to it or maybe know a little bit about it first. Um, yeah, I, I think so, it, because I knew his orchestral works, but this was something completely different for me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, I, I'm, I kind of know Ligeti's concept, but I wasn't really ready for that applied to the piano. It's something completely different here. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And aside from the early, like, Musica Ricercata and a few real miniatures, they're really the only substantial piano works that he wrote in his life. And he did it towards the end. I want to say something about the performance and the recording. Now, I knew these works before because I had heard uh, Pierre Laurent Aymar record them. He did... um, He recorded them all when Ligeti was still alive, and he had only only composed... um, the first um, etude in Book Three, White on White, also the only English uh, language title in this whole set, um, and the other three he kind of he included on a an album of like African pygmies or something like that that he was doing. Mm-hmm. He was kind of contrasting music, you know, classical music with um, uh, the music of you know 
African tribes. It was a really weird recording. It was kind of an odd thing to listen to, to hear those three Ligeti etudes that I had never heard before. But it's first of all, it's nice to have them all on this recording. And I can't say whether these are... Well, the, the Amar recording was uh, the first ever recorded, I think. And then there were one or two other sets recorded. But this is um, probably the most distinguished complete set out there. The, um, the pianist... He articulates the the different kind of like dynamic levels of the works exceptionally well, and that is really an astonishing feat considering how difficult these pieces sound and people say are. So he gets great sound, and the recording is fantastic. It's really it's really clear. You can hear all the detail in in the playing. Um, I think this is highly recommended. I thought it was great. If you're ready for a little adventure, I would recommend this. Okay, yeah, I don't. I yeah. w- and if you really want a challenge, try to play it. Oh, I'd hate to oh, see boy. the sheet music yeah. for this. Wow. Yeah, this uh, would be. Uh, this could be um, something. This is like a, a step towards extreme music. Yeah, extreme. By you the may, composer Alberto Narcisi in my novel, Extreme Music. Read it, everybody. And Find for those link. of you who bought the novel, some people, I, I I got a very tiny royalty check this month so for those of you who bought the book and read it thank you so much i'm really uh appreciative of your interest and yes, purchase. just check thank out you. mike's novel anyone who has been involved in the music world especially classical <laughs> music and conservatory or in that environment it's you will that appreciate world, yeah. the humor and reality in this novel <laughs> It was fun to write, I have to yes. say. I laughed a lot while I was writing it. Okay. Right, well, yeah, my, speaking. My classical hmm? pick this week yeah. is The Art of Modern Trumpet, Volume 2 on Naxos. Volume 2. Uh, I hate when they do that. It's like, Volume 2. Like, oh, now I have to hear Volume 1. Yeah, I have to know? go back and hear Volume 1. I do that. I do that, too. I'm kind of like, I have to hear Volume 1. If, if it's Volume 8, though, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to listen to Volumes yeah, 1 through 7. I figure that's too much. Uh, here we have... Mm. Uh, a Scottish trumpeter, Hugh Morgan, yeah, who is uh, has good credentials, playing with some major orchestras in the UK, and uh, teaching in the uh, some conservatories, along with uh, on piano Rebecca Wilt, mm-hmm. and I was drawn to this as a trumpet player because the trumpet in the classical music sort of suffers from a lack of repertoire that. Uh, other instruments have and of course uh, in the history of the trumpet before the modern valves were perfected it was a rather limited instrument and so Mm -hmm. it was limited in in what it could do and so in the standard repertoire you know we would have the Haydn the Hummel and in modern music the Hindemith sort of you know things that you would play Uh, however there's a lot of good modern music, uh, 20th century music written for the trumpet uh, that isn't well known even among classical music fans, uh, but it's out there. And so whenever I see a recording of some of those pieces, I'm I'm kind of interested to uh, hear it. And in this case, uh, volume one is different, but uh, volume two focuses on uh, 20th century France. And so we've got a 
a lot of music here that has uh, beauty of tone. And right. uh, Morgan has a, a really huge, round, uh, and shining tone that uh, really makes this material uh, come to life here. And yeah, there's a variety of different works here. We've got, uh, let's see, a, a lot of short compositions with longer ones. The The last track on here is the Joe Levet. And, um, yeah, I like him. And I do have, I believe, I have another recording with his, I think he has a trumpet concerto or a trumpet sonata. It's a longer work. Um, and here uh, we have a short piece that's the Air de Bravoure, Bravoure. I guess yeah. it's uh, bravura, and this is really a kind of work that features lots of double tonguing on the trumpet with great flourish. And, yes, uh, that's the word I had here: flourish. Yeah, flourish, and so it yeah. accentuates that sort of uh, tonguing nature of the trumpet. Uh, there's a Iber piece to start, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. Like and a fanfare. That kind of sounded like a fanfare. It's called impromptu. It's an impromptu. impromptu right. But apparently the person impromptu was a fanfare. Somebody was entering the room and they... <laughs> right. And we've got the... Uh, Ga- I'm going to butcher all of these French Galois Montbrun. The Sarabande Finale. This has got uh, lots of nice lines and a lovely short muted part that's uh, inserted into it uh, that comes yeah. up. That's and, a one-movement work, right? It's got right. these lovely chiming piano chords at yes. the end that really kind of caught my attention. And probably the one that's been most recorded uh, and performed by trumpet players is the Hubeau. Oh, wow. Because this was new for me. Right. Um, no, it's actually... I think a lot of uh, trumpet uh, students are playing this and performing it in recitals. It's, uh, it's very sonorous. Lots of nice mm. melody lines. And the third Very noble at the beginning. Yeah. Yes, and the third movement is called spiritual, which has got some yeah. bluesy, very right. uh, American type uh, elements in it, um, and it's a it's really lovely time. piece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we have the uh, Sankan Rhapsody, which begins with some very interesting trumpet intervals uh, that sort of set up a sort of uh, movement with just the trumpet and then it becomes rather playful with the piano and uh, there's another piece here uh, Roof uh, and I think yeah. Sankan and Roof are not are lesser known French composers um, that yeah Janine Roof I guess yeah, Mo- she, it's uh, called fe- Mobiles and composer. it kind of Mobiles this is very mysterious and haunting uh, no that, but I, I thought of like Mobiles as those kind of hanging right. sort of um, things and you get that sense from the opening piano line but these kind of you have these mm. like almost like hanging like tones you know and they're played like really spaced apart from each other kind of gave you this image of something just kind of hanging in midair yeah I liked it a lot I think her her and Sankan they're not well known outside of France uh, for their other compositions so it's nice they're included here and I I think having sort of this French 20th century theme makes a nice concept for the whole album. The trumpet playing is fabulous, a beautiful tone, and uh, the technique seems effortless by Morgan, and uh, Wilt's piano is a nice support here. So for a 20th century collection of music that's 
very quite accessible. Uh, it's all uh, easy to listen to, really, and has a different collection of moods and different styles, but it sticks to this uh, theme. I found it quite enjoyable, and I'm going to check out Volume 1. I haven't had time hmm. to listen to it yet, but uh, whenever I see a collection like this, I'm hoping it will be something good, and for trumpet players or fans of trumpet music, this one is well worth a listen. Yeah, I'm always I I enjoyed this a, a lot as well, and I especially enjoyed you know I, I'm always listening to the piano accompaniment, of course, too, and uh, you don't you really hear enough um, you know trumpet and piano, but uh, yeah, this was a really enjoyable combination. Some of the the piano figuration, the sounds coming out of the piano. French music is generally about timbre, right? Especially in the 20th century, and um, yeah, this there there's a bit of that in here. Oh, by the way, if you're ever trying to get into like Pierre Boulez's very dense, um, highly intellectual music, the secret is listen to the timbre, you know, the sounds that the instruments make is very inviting. And then as you kind of do that, you can get more and more deeper into the intellectual stuff as you go. It's the thing about French composers, they have this real good ear for the sound the instrument makes and the way they combine them. Okay, so that's, that's pretty interesting here, the, the French ear for the trumpet. Yes. I thought it was really interesting. Nice sounds. Okay, and that will do it for... Well, actually, it won't do it for classical music, kind of. Kind of. Because we're, we're kind of getting into the uh, jazz part of the program now. And this, this was my choice this week. One both worlds. And we yeah, both we knew about this, but you decided we should talk about it. And, yeah, uh, because I wanted to... I kind of thought it was interesting. This is uh, Pat Metheny's new album, uh, Road to the Sun. Now, I had noticed that this was... Um, you know, it was, it was making all the uh, jazz lists. I was like, oh, Pat Metheny has a new album out. He had had a brief hiatus in the 2010s. Like, I think from 2015 to 2020, he didn't make an album. And then last year, uh, he released From This Place, which was a jazz album. And then Road to the Sun came out this year. It's on all the jazz um, charts. And yet, this is really a classical album, isn't it? It's a composed. I think. It's all composed yeah. works. This not uh, Im- it's not improvised music. So, in yeah. That not sense, only that, yeah. Matheny doesn't really play much on it either. No, he okay, doesn't. Just a few tracks. Uh, it's mainly we've got the uh, solo parts played by the Grammy-winning classical guitar uh, guitarist Jason Vio. And yeah. the other parts are performed by the Los Angeles Guitar Quartet. Yeah. Yeah, I want to start with the, the Jason Vio uh, piece, Four Paths of Light, it's called, composed by Pat Metheny. And I was expecting something sort of jazzy, but no, this is a really very strictly composed work. It, it's it's a bit... Um, uh, somber, I guess. Uh, it's 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 kind of serious, but serious in only a way you know, like Pat Metheny can be. Uh, Pat Metheny in his music, in his jazz, and even here, he he comes across as such an optimist and the person who just takes real joy in music that it just comes out even in a work that's um you know he's he's being serious and even in like minor key movements. It just kind of sounds like it's this kind of light sadness that's going to go away really soon. Um, but this this piece was pretty serious, um, very well articulated, beautifully played by the guitarist Jason 
VO, okay, is the name. Um, it's a four-movement work. Um, what can we say about this? Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's re really written in a traditional classical style with, uh, you know, different parts, um, different lines articulated very well. It's, it's not really jazzy at all. He has this way, Pat Metheny, of putting a lot of different elements into the same movement. And this is especially true in the next work, Road to the Sun, which is the, uh, the title of the album and the main work on this um, recording uh, performed by the Los Angeles Guitar Quartet with uh, Metheny himself playing a little bit in two movements. Um, also, it says here that um, uh, John, one of the guitarists, John Dearman, in the Los Angeles Guitar it, uh, Quartet is playing a seven-string guitar. I'm guessing that's the bass, huh? Anyway, you can uh, hear this... you can hear various influences of styles here. Yeah. You can hear some flamenco, choro, really music, Spanish too, just ordinary samba, Spanish classical music too, and also, like um, yeah, very post-romantic kind of classical etudes for guitar influences. Yeah. But they're all sort of weaved together uh, into the performance, and then when Matheny plays. He plays, as you say, it's not very, it's not a jazz style. Yeah, you always it's, know it's uh, him, though. Yeah, somehow he has a very unique uh, sort of attack, sound and phrasing, yeah. and his in his sound too. So, yeah, I was surprised by this. Uh, and then we get to the final piece. Uh, oh, this is a bonus track. Actually, it's yeah. listed as uh, this is a. Uh, Arvo Pert's work, Für Alina, which is, I think, originally for piano solo. It's very short. Uh, it's a little longer here than the versions I've heard. And this is performed by Pat Metheny on 42-string guitar. It's a guitar that is built especially for him. And it makes all kinds of really unusual sounds. You get this Drones, really deep bass and, drone. Yeah. And then there's sort of like the sound of somebody running their kind of fingernails through a piano kind of sound, you know, on one of those necks. Uh, I've seen a picture of this guitar. It looks like um, if a string breaks, the tension would just kind of uh, instantly kill the guitarist, yeah. I think. <laughs> Make, or smash the guitar into smithereens. Lacerations, yeah. It looks like it's highly, highly tense. I don't know how it holds together. But this was, it was really interesting all the way through. I found this record very appealing. I didn't find it, it's it's lightish as far as mood goes, but it was not lightweight at all. There's real content in here. Matheny knows something about, um, you know, musical content. And uh, it comes, it, it's really a nice surprise, this record. I liked, I thought it was great. Yep. It's different for him. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's actually writing out parts and instead of, uh, you know, improvising them. Um, a highly recommended recording. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, it was mm. so my first impression with the first track, which is, you know, very full on and uh, with in kind of intense rhythms. And I thought, wow, what am I in for here? Um, but then when, by the time I got to the end and I saw that was in contrast with some of the other movements and then with the solo and the quartet pieces, and then the final parrot piece, um, mm -hmm. my you know my mind had changed, and uh, yeah, I I I don't want to say 
I don't like to compare things, you know, and say, you know, oh, this is not really classical music, or, you know, why doesn't he stick to jazz? Uh, I think a respected artic, artist like him, he can do something like this. And uh, I think it stands on its own, and it's uh, a lot of fine guitar playing and interesting music here. And I, and I like these, another uh, guitarist uh, who I really like uh, is uh, Aldi Miola, who has mm -hmm. sort of crossed sort of genre lines, and uh, he's done some recording of uh, Piazzolla's music, uh, and in, in more stricter forms, composed form. Actually, he's been someone who sort of l likes to stick to very composed forms in music, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that can be criticized as someone who's noted as a jazz musician. But you know when you think you may have something that's sort of set without need for much improvisation and it can stand as a you know a composition on its own then you know why not put it out as that and yeah you know, I, I like what Matheny has done here and uh, it's well worth a listen I've only listened to it twice but I think it's yeah. worth uh, listening to some more I and, think I'll be listening to this all year to be honest I liked it and the uh, the, the the it's not really a Matheny sort of approach but the uh arvo parrot work which is very still he captures that stillness well and i was kind of impressed by that because it's really a departure for him that's really uh, put you out there in, in a flight. different space yeah. that track yeah yeah matheny's playing is often in flight and uh, yeah. that one kind of i heard that he's sort of um, stillness he he made an angry comment about all modern guitarists sounding exactly like him and he wasn't happy about that you know um you know i think he, he might be he did right, say that you know? really yeah yeah um not in not in a uh, conceited way but in sort of an angry <laughs> kind yeah. of uh, way but he is that influential in his uh mm. in his sound um so well, it's not a bad sound to have i can tell no, you that not at it's all. very positive especially in the 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 you know the the world we live in is in the 20th century world as well he was really just this kind of well there's just a few players positivity. that have a huge you know they have that stamp of a sound yeah. that if it gets in your head you can't get out of you know like i think like another guitarist like mike stern yeah. when i hear mike stern I have no idea what he's doing because <laughs> it's like from outer space, but it sounds so cool. Uh, John Schofield, another player like that, um, yeah. you know, and then as we've been listening, you know, in the, in the past few weeks, we've talked about a lot of the Bill Forsell right. albums. When Bill Forsell is on an album, his that atmosphere and sound he has, it just sort of, that sets the whole terrain for anything yeah. else you put on top of it. And, you know, so these guitar guitarists can have a, a huge influence. And I think, you know, Matheny's whole approach with tone and phrasing and everything, it right. it has that big of an influence that uh, it, people who you know, tried to copy his licks and phrasing, it might be hard to break out of that because it, it can make a huge impression on uh, the landscape of the of, uh, well, What's funny is with Bill Frisell, too, he, uh, you never hear him sort of do these like athletic sort of playing but he's got this yeah this real sound that takes up space it's it has real presence you know it's kind of magical it and sneaks yet, up on you in the yeah in the in the background yeah for sure right it's just kind of it's it's right there and yet it doesn't really sound 
if you think of if you listen to it it doesn't what he's actually playing it doesn't really sound like there's much there but there is i guess he yeah. gets all of it out okay i guess he gets all of the juice out of the fruit you know yeah. so i guess yeah. it'll be an inter- it'll be interesting to see if this was just a one off or if yeah. he's inspired for more composing so I, I'd certainly like to, tell. you know, I would listen to more by him. It's um, guitar, classical guitar. It's it's a funny sort of uh, genre because when we think about classical music, we think of what? Beethoven, Mozart, Bach. And yet they, they didn't write for the guitar. Well, Bach wrote for the lute. Uh, you know, a few so words you get a lot of transcriptions and you get so, a lot of so, so Spanish big, music. And- yeah, no, yeah, the big names in guitar music are people that, unless you listen to classical guitar, you've never you heard of. Know. Right. Yeah, you know, like uh, Barrios or people like that. One of the, yeah. one of the giants of guitar composition in classical music, and of course Domeniconi. Like these days, we were list- we were listening to him earlier in the year. He's he writes a lot for guitar. You know, Boccherini back in the day, I guess. Mm. All right. So um, I'm trying to think of some um, young jazz guitarists that you know that you know who Pat Metheny would be complaining about. I can't really think of any because all the ones I know. Are around his generation, you know, Bill Frisell, people like that. Yeah. You know? um, the so. one who, at, at some point, I would like to review one of his albums, but it's going past. But the one who knocks me out in and is not in a new innovative style at all is Peter Bernstein, mm-hmm. who's uh, in the very much in the Jim Hall sort of uh, school of playing, but yeah. has his own unique uh, sound and is putting out a lot of really great music. So he had an album. Uh, out last year uh, that's um, really great and uh, if you put something out new or a collaboration I'll be sure to bring that up because I think he's a fabulous uh, guitarist who plays with extreme restraint he's not a show off at all I do like Um, that and uh, he has the deepest tone uh, that's out there uh, that really draws you in Uh, so uh, I'll be looking for anything new that no, he I'll be puts looking out. forward to that then. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm uh, not familiar with this. Uh, his album that came out last year, I think it was October or November, is called What Comes Next uh, on Smoke Sessions Records. Uh, highly recommended. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, not least for the sound quality of the recordings, yeah, too. The Smoke sound quality is Sessions are fantastic. Yeah. One of our favorite record labels. Indeed. And there's yeah. one coming up in April that I've got on my list. So. It's going to be a surprise. You're not going to tell me what it is? Uh, what is it? It's um, mm. uh, Vincent Herring, the great alto sax player's uh, oh. upcoming release. And he's uh, sort of the, uh, a great alto player who has uh, swallowed and <clears throat> incorporated the sound of Cannonball Adderley uh, in a modern context with much more there. And... Uh, all of his previous releases have been really, really enjoyable. So I'm looking forward to I've heard there's one track up on Deezer. So when the album comes out uh, next month, pick it up and hopefully we'll feature it here. We should make a list of all the, the things we love, the the apps, the record labels, all those things we just could so do people that. know. The adult music yeah. toolbox, so to speak. Yeah, the adult yeah. music toolbox, what you should be. <laughs> or where to, what to try out at you least can you use know, you can, to try out you're, you're a discerning adult you can decide for yourself we'll just kind yeah. of point you in the direction yeah we could just right. take it from our our experiments in obsession with music obsession is time 
Obsession is right. I, um, I, I've long remarked I have no more room for the uh, CDs in my house. I need to buy a new house now. <laughs> That's right. For, Mike is moving for my CDs. just to accommodate his CD collection. That's it. I'm, I'm actually keeping my old apartment, which I'm going to live in. My CDs will live in my new CDs house. CDs will live in a new place. And make sure, <laughs> remember when you sign that will, put down my yeah. name as the inheritor for all those discs. Indeed. I wish, uh, I, wish, uh, I wish they could pay rent, but... Uh, Oh, they, who knows what the future will hold? Yeah. Anyway, there, there was a speaking of which, there was a joke about like oh, I forget what it was. I think it was a um, about um, I think uh, monk, you know, um, the intelligence of monkeys, and somebody had said that um, uh, that they thought like um, that monkeys were more intelligent than people, but they're not letting you know because they know that we'd make them work. So Could be some I truth guess. To that. Uh, I think those CDs are uh, keeping quiet because they don't want to pay their rent. They know I'll extract it from them. <laughs> anyway, what small fortune anyway. lies inside those discs? Oh well, it's, it's you know they're not worth much, but uh, they they cost a lot. That's the thing. I'm doing everything in backwards. I should buy cars instead. They go up in value. Archive of cultural heritage. It is that. That's true. I think I think of it that way, and I love having them. So. Okay. Next one. Let's go on. Moving on what do you to got? the next jazz release. Something I heard digging deep into the new releases. Give yeah. it all you got. By the trombonist <laughs> Michael Deese. And this is on Positone Records. And Michael mm-hmm. Deese is a guy who is has made a name for himself. Uh, this is his, uh, I think it's his eighth release on Positone. He's uh, from uh, Georgia, and uh, he's come up through the new jazz program at Juilliard, uh, where he mm-hmm. earned his bachelor's and master's degree in the jazz program there. And uh, then he's been around and played in uh, big bands led by none other than Jimmy Heath, Wayne Shorter, Christian McBride, Roy Hargrove. He's appeared with uh, Wycliffe Jordan, Wynton Marsalis, uh, lots of people, uh, Slight Hamptons Mm -hmm. Band, um, pop music. He's been a uh, performer with uh, Paul Simon, Alicia Keys, uh, quite a good resume. And uh, these albums he's recorded as a leader on his own, are also quite excellent. And we get his latest release here that was recorded in 2019, but has just come out. Uh, Give it all you got. And uh, this is a fine kind of uh, post-bop jazz session that uh, has a lot of funky, bluesy grooves with a lot of good blowing on it. Um, yeah, funky was the name of the uh, the game yeah. this week in the jazz choices here. It we'll starts out got after this. with a track of uh, a sliver of silver, referring to, of course, the Horace Silver. The great and, Horace Silver. Um, yeah, all of the pieces here have that really good, funky, sort of blue note, uh, post-bop, you know, jazz messengers, Horace Silver kind of groove to mm. them. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, Deese himself is... Uh, 
great technician with really good feeling on the trombone. So the trombone solos are excellent. The other horns here, uh, we've got Anthony Stanko on trumpet and flugelhorn, a fine player, Gregory Tardy on tenor saxophone. Uh, all the horn solos are really well-crafted, played uh, with lots of tasty licks, uh, fine players here. And what really sets the mood on this uh, whole recording I is it's that it's, it's got uh, organ yes. as the bass. Uh, Jim I love it. Alfredson <laughs> on organ. And so that f sort of really funky uh sort of uh, soul jazz organ kind of uh, sound is the basis for all of these tunes. And it really creates a really funky mood for this album. And all of the tunes on here are uh, originals. Um, they're evocative of these sort of uh, post-pop great tunes by the, you know Horace Silver and whatnot. But they're original new compositions. Uh, most of them are by Dees, but uh, the, key, the organist uh, Alfredson uh, also, uh, Stanko, the trumpet player, and uh, uh, the drummer, Luther Allison, contributes a track, too. Uh, so it's all original music in the sort of uh, post-pop funky vein. And it's a really fun album. Uh, great yeah, playing. Great. Good grooves. Uh, so if you haven't heard Michael Deese, you want to hear a really great up-and-coming trombonist, uh, check this one out on Positone Records. Yeah, uh, and my... My ear is always drawn towards that Hammond organ. I just love that sound in jazz. It's so good. I could listen to recording after recording with that on it. But even though I'm always listening to that, I thought uh, Deese's uh, trombone playing it was really drawing my ear away from it. Uh, it was. It's pretty amazing. I'm not. I don't think of myself as someone who's gonna kind of go for the you know the trombone. But I, I you know, he had like a real sort of evocative tone. I think that really um, that drew me in. So between that and the the organ, the Hammond organ, this was just sheer, sheer pleasure. I liked it a lot. Yeah, he's really got a lot of um, dexterity and facility in his solos. It's playful and really good with a beautiful tone. Uh, mm -hmm. A really great trombonist. Um, and, you know, trombone, um, it, it's one yeah. of, you know, it always takes a back seat to sax yeah. and trumpet in We really uh, don't ensemble. hear enough of it as a solo um, instrument. And But, yeah, we, we should hear more of it. Uh, another great player also on Smoke Sessions uh, is uh, Steve Davis, mm -hmm. uh, who I saw uh, with the New Composers Octet uh, some years ago. Um, but he, he's another uh, great trombonist out there who's making a lot of original music and is a great player. And so, yeah, whenever I get a chance to hear really good trombone, I'm happy. And this album uh, really delivers that. So... Check this out, Michael Deese. Give it all you got. Yeah, really nice. A real deep dive from yes. us over there. Now, Hammond, you can never get enough organ. And oh. um, so. And you can never get enough of this next album that we're going to talk about. We will. But before we get to that, um, you know, when I think about what we oh. don't hear enough of, there's lots of things we can uh, talk about. But. A detour. Uh, Here we go. Organ is one of is one of those things. You know, when you think about go back to the '60s and '70s, organ was on everything, and mm. uh, you know, you had uh, organ in pop music. You had, you know, of course, in rock, you had the Doors. Uh, you had going back in the '60s, you have uh, the Zombies with Rod mm. Argent and uh, <laughs> you know the organ sound. Uh, even in pop music into the '70s and uh, rock music, you know. 
Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you had a nice organ sound. And that, and that unique tone and the Leslie speaker, you know, it really set the, the mood. And then, yeah. you know, in jazz, uh, you had a lot of great sort of, um, you know, soul jazz in the 1970s. Uh, Jimmy McGriff um, and uh, the uh, great, another great organist I like was Richard Groove Holmes. And, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. just these great, you know, um, um, groove <laughs> it'd sounds. Cool. It'd be cool if your nickname was Groove. You groove. Know, all the, all mean, the ladies would know you were guy. the guy to be with, right? My, my nickname is Groove. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a great tune uh, with great horn lines called uh, Ain't No Trouble on the Mountain. Uh, yeah. It's this minor blues with this great uh, bridge, you know. And, and it's all this great music. And then, I don't know what happened, but, you know, in the... In the 80s, when, you know, sort of the new new pop music came out and sort of synthesizer became the bass for a while, like, you know, guitar-based rock music coexisted with that. But now yeah. we're in this new era where we don't really hear much guitar music in pop music and we don't yeah. hear any organ, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, God. It just drives me crazy that there's no guitar because to me, like, I pop know. music is the guitar, you know. Yeah. I guess but it's our generation. Luckily... Yeah. um in jazz, there's been a resurgence. So we've got some nice organ here on this album. Uh, Michael Brecker recorded uh, uh, a couple albums, uh, or at least one, with uh, uh, a sort of organ trio as the basis of it. And we've got, uh, of course, Joey DeFrancisco, who yeah. has brought the organ back. Uh, the another wonderful uh, jazz pianist and organist extraordinaire, uh, Mike Ledon. Yes, um, who you introduced you, me to him yeah if you haven't heard him uh fabulous recordings uh and what came out after we had already decided our list for this week which well i can recommend well, we can do it next week i guess you would know because i don't want to do it because of no. uh one extreme reservation dr oh. lonnie smith has a new oh. album out on blue note i like him you don't yeah. want to do him well he's well lonnie smith is great and the album is called breathe but there's yeah. a problem with someone who's breathing on this album, and that someone is Iggy Pop. And ah. <laughs> I have no idea why <laughs> Iggy Pop. He did one track. He's on one track. Two he? tracks, too. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, and, but I don't um, think, you know, you, you could do the album. You could review yeah, the album and say, I, oh, I we didn't like Iggy Pop. I'll on think it. about I, it. A little I like bit Iggy, more. though. I don't know. I bet I like but, this. I got to hear it. Well, okay. you'll wonder why Iggy Pop is breathing on this one when you hear it. Um, okay. I'm not quite sure. I'm curious now. I'm going to have to hear it. But yeah, Dr. Lonnie Smith, another famous uh, jazz organist. So, at least in the jazz world, it seems that uh, organ is alive and well. Yeah, before we go on to the record, I just want to say the yes. thing that really killed the organ or the keyboard in general in uh, you know all those in the 70s there was also that uh, the what was it the Roland piano? Roland the, piano. The, the, That's the made bell a, somewhat sound. of a comeback too in jazz circles. Yeah. yeah. But I remember because I was around in the 80s and the thing that killed that was the synclavier uh, yeah. synthesizer specifically that one because it could take samples and there was a famous um, incident about taking a sample on the, the the Cosby Show at the time. Stevie Wonder was on the Cosby Show, you know that the sitcom one where where he mm -hmm. was Doctor Huxtable, and uh, he kind of showed the kids how to like take a sample on this um, instrument, which I believe was a synclavier. I don't remember. I mean, it was a long ago, and I haven't seen it. But that just changed everything. You know, suddenly kids were starting to take samples, and like hip hop became yeah. sample heavy. Uh, 
because of that episode, really, really, it had a big um, influence on everything. And then everything was the Synclavier, which kind of bothered me. Um, I think Peter Gabriel used it a lot too, and people like that. So some people used it really creatively. But my whole problem with that instrument was that you could make any sound with it, which is great if you know what sound you're going to make, but it eliminates accidents. And accidents are usually good things in music, you know, when you just sort of, um, you know, maybe do the wrong thing and yet this sound comes out that you just never would have thought of making right. before. You know, it's kind of that that quality seems to be missing in music now. And it was exciting because like when you kind of do something wrong, you, you have to recover from it. And somehow it sort of wakes you up, you know, and so there's something kind of electric about that sort of thing happening as long as you handle it well. You know, I think of uh, the feedback at the beginning of I Feel Fine by the Beatles, things like that. That wasn't supposed to happen, apparently. That's kind of iconic now. Yeah, okay. something spontaneous that happens yeah. uh, in the music. Yeah, so I think in, in pop music, we've lost a lot of these uh, sounds because Rhodes was used, you know, in a lot of uh, uh, pop songs too. But luckily in jazz, there's been sort of a resurgence of that sort of Miles Davis a 60s uh, Rhodes sound. I've heard, you know, a lot of groups using that again. And uh, certainly organ is uh, coming back too. And there, there's nothing, yes. there's nothing that sounds like, you know, a full uh, Hammond B3 uh, kind of sound there. And, um, you know, just the, the timbre of that and all the possibilities with the different stops and, uh, uh, it, it always makes me uh, happy. I remember, you know, I can't find it now. I don't know if it's gone, but, you know, before streaming came out when um, on iTunes just had uh, internet radio and uh, I would have a variety of uh, streams that I would listen to. There was a stream that was called uh, Hammond Radio and uh, it was cross genre. It would have rock, pop, blues, jazz, but the theme was all the all the music featured just Hammond organ. And uh, sometimes in uh, the band I was playing and I, I was playing keyboard, uh, not on a real Hammond, of course, but using, you know, sort of organ and simulated Leslie. I would listen to that mm. all the time just to get ideas for how to use that Hammond sound in a mm. tune. And, um, you know, it would change. It would go from one genre to the next, just having, you know, that instrument as the theme. And I don't know if it's out there anymore. But um, that brings us to the, our final choice this week, which is all organ, the Delvon Lamar Organ Trio with their latest release called I Told You So on yeah. Coal Mine Records. And this is their third release. Uh, they've got another uh, studio album called Close But No Cigar, and they have a live album and then this. And this, I have to say, is a very infectious yeah, uh, kind of it music. Sure was. Um, and it's all about the groove. Uh, these uh, three musicians, which uh, Delvon Lamar on uh, organ guitarist Jimmy James, who is a real uh, rhythm guitar and uh, really dirty solo master, and uh, a new drummer, uh, Dan Weiss, uh, they had a, uh, previously a different drummer. Uh, these guys have the tightest locked-in grooves uh, that you can imagine. and Yeah, and they're great grooves, too. Uh, it's great grooves, uh, great organ sound. Uh, 
There's not a lot of solos. The solos are concise, but when you listen to them, they're very subtle. And uh, Lamar's organ playing is uh, really, really uh, tight and nice. Uh, sometimes he's doing uh, foot the foot pedal bass. Sometimes he's using a keyboard bass uh, for the more sort of syncopated or uh, 16th note uh, type patterns there. But uh, this is uh, really, really uh, groovy music. Um, and uh, it's amazing that they can they can mine so many different grooves in this style over different albums, and every uh, track uh, sounds really uh, different. And yeah, the, the rhythm, the rhythmic, too. yeah, the, the subtleties yeah. are great. Um, and um, so this one, uh, I told you so, has. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, interesting tracks. Uh, one appealing one is the second one. I'll actually post a live performance uh, YouTube uh, video of this because uh, Jimmy James' solo is re- really uh, out there on this one. And uh, he does a lot of very interesting things uh, in in the live performance of this, which is uh, Call Your Mom, uh, which uh, reading up on it, they... they write a lot of tracks it seems based on a groove and they don't really have a title for the song <laughs> and uh apparently uh lamar was saying oh what should we call it and uh the producer whoever's in the movie was just said how about call your mom and he said oh, that sounds <laughs> good and that was like a post-it note that someone had stuck on the back <laughs> of his organ because he was supposed to call his mother but that yeah. became the title for the tune um and uh th- they also seem to um uh, on each release have a sort of interesting cover and the sort of out there one on this one is Wham's Careless Whisper yeah uh, I liked this yeah. I gotta talk I wanna talk yeah. about this a little bit so uh, yeah um, what's your impression of this recording well okay well the Careless Whisper I wanna just say say about this um, the melody was really interesting harmonized by the uh, the organist you know cause he you know usually there's no harmony on the original song. It's just kind of a, a vocal solo. Yeah. Yet he's he, he kind of had these really. It sounded great that way. I was like, oh, this is a pretty interesting melody. I didn't really thought thought of it that way. I mean, it's certainly catchy. We know we right. know it when we hear it. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the uh, harmonizations the organist did. Another thing about this record I wanted to say is the uh, guitarist um, totally wails on this on some tracks on this record. Um, yeah. Let's see um, if let's see who is this. Um, Okay, so it's basically um, okay. Jimmy James on guitar, but I want to make I, sure I got the right track. Um, okay, for sure, and uh, Aces. That's going to be Jimmy James. He he really just kind of he totally wails. It's fantastic yeah. to hear kind of within the groove. Oh, it's just fantastic. I really yeah. enjoyed it. His yeah. his rhythm playing is just. I mean the the guitar. The rhythm guitar, the drum, it's so in the pocket. It's so deep. And then when he yeah. lets loose on his solos, um, it's all still about the rhythm. And then he he does these great rhythmic things and then some sort of microtonal things. Uh, <laughs> and then on some of his live solos, if, if you can catch, there's a lot of their uh, live performances on YouTube. Uh, he does some really atonal and sort of outside um, right. tension building elements that are, you know, and he keeps it really simple, still building the tension before he brings things uh, back in. And uh, 
yeah, and and these guys just look so relaxed as they play together that um, yeah, it's very infectious. Um, yeah, in drawing, and in. the guitarist has some great guitar faces that he oh. makes as he plays. If you watch this on uh, YouTube, yeah, it's pretty. I'm going to link this one. He's pretty demonic. It's fantastic. Yes. His neck is uh, <laughs> really full exorcist here. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really good. So I'm I'm really like this. You know, in on one hand, I mean, this is not really you know. In full on, you know, um, how can I say, um, mainstream jazz. This is, but this is instrumental music that is really, really good. Uh, mm -hmm. It's soul jazz, uh, incorporating lots of influences. Um, but they seem to, I mean, it would be, you would have to be soulless to not be drawn mm. in if you heard this music. Uh, yeah. It should strap you in your tracks and put you into some sort of uh, groovy dance trance uh, if you heard these rhythms. So. Yeah, I'm betting these guys are pretty young, too, and it's just so fantastic to hear music like this in this uh, day and age. Uh, yeah, yeah this is great. Um, and just to see, you know, uh, the one uh, live performance, they're sort of in the lobby of the place, you know, in front of these large windows, and then just to see... You know, the Hammond organ out there, you know, people walking mm -hmm. by and then hearing this and then just stopping, um, you know, from this wall of sound and these rhythms. Um, you know, this is what we need to come back into uh, music uh, that people yeah. can experience with real instruments. And um, this would know. be a great night out, actually, to oh, hear this band yeah, play. This would be great. It'd be yeah. really fun. Yeah. If we ever get Everybody a chance to see them. would be all sweaty and soaked in there. Sweat and stuff. Yeah. It'd be great, you know. Yeah. Get really get really funky. Um, oh, by the way, for listeners, last maybe I don't know if everybody figured out last week's um episode title, you know, what was it? Boats, um Scooters. Scooters, yeah. Turtlenecks. Turtlenecks. They referred to the album covers because we kind of made a, a big deal about the album covers on last week's um podcast. This week we didn't. I mean, they're all perfectly good album covers but they're kind of standard but i want to say that this particular one the delvin lamar organ trio has a pretty interesting album cover it looks like a, a this guy he looks like he's pretty beefy um he's standing under like a i guess a, in a tunnel kind of under an overpass or something like that and it looks like he's shadow boxing kind of in the middle of this tunnel yeah. it was a pretty <laughs> interesting wonder, image for this album i don't know if I that's delvin himself he, he's a bit of a beefy guy uh jimmy james is yeah. kind of beefy too could be jimmy james too i could don't know be, but it's only could, one of them the other like guys aren't visible in the photo yeah or it could just be uh, a crazy or it's guy just some guy we don't know who it is yeah. really yeah. it is kind of nice the black and white with the um yeah the print on top of it yeah yeah so i thought this was good so that yeah, yeah highly so really everything this week is highly recommended everybody yeah. i i can't urge you to get on these. deezer or whatever um uh, you know, streaming service you use and uh, check them all out. And I think it'll just lift you up. Yeah, check them out. Really um, we, we always provide links with uh, what's available on Spotify and Apple Music because those, those are the popular services. Um, Amazon has their new high definition service too. Uh, Mike and I are using Deezer now. We use and, Deezer. Uh, I've used Sponsor it. Sponsor us, Deezer. We love you. <laughs> yeah, I've used it for a year and a half or so. I've been pretty happy with the both the sound quality and catalog. The sound quality. Uh, we like the catalog's good too, yeah. Catalog's the, good know, we too. like the sound quality. They do high res. 
Yeah. So, uh, whatever service you uh, listen to on, it's it's interesting because uh, we've got our podcast up, and it's on all the major services. Uh, uh, we're we're hosted on Podbeam uh, mm-hmm. ourselves, but we you can find us uh, wherever you may be listening. Now we are on Amazon and Spotify, and we are and YouTube on too, but with no YouTube. video. Yeah. yeah, we have a few listeners on YouTube, and we are on, uh, I forget all of them. I just applied for two more uh, this week, actually. Uh, of course, Google Podcasts and uh, others. The interesting thing, however, is that uh, we're here in Japan, and Japan mm-hmm. Deezer does not have uh, podcasts supported yet, so I can't find our own show <laughs> on Deezer, although I do know that there are a few listeners on Deezer uh, somewhere, so it's a it's a strange world as far as distribution uh, goes. Now you could probably like get a a VPN and kind of although you can't no because if you subscribe to Deezer, it's always uh it's very country specific because you're yeah, paying. You can find you can the, find the yeah. podcast in the search, but only on the mobile app, but not on the desktop yeah. uh, app. So they know where you are. It's just yeah, they terrible. Know where we are, I don't know where we yeah. are. But uh, get us yeah. get us we're, out there on all the where platforms we are, possible. We're in our mountain lair where no one will ever find us. No one will find us. <laughs> with great stereo I take, equipment. I take comfort with yes, we have we have the equipment to produce anything that we want in the audio realm, whether it be live or remote, and we won't uh, let you know. And we have the CD collection to get through the entire millennium, really. Well, that's the scary if, thing. If we figure it? out a way to live forever. In this uh, time when everything is possible almost instantly, mm-hmm. uh, what if streaming goes away in an instant? Uh, I think about this often. Go, yeah, you know, you could lose your whole music collection uh, in an instant. You could do that in a fire, too, if you have like record vinyl or uh, CDs. But, that's true. Uh, that's yeah. less likely to happen, I think. I'd say for the paranoid yeah. music buff, it's good to have your CD collection and streaming and all your releases backed up at least twice on various <laughs> hard drives. And uh, buying, buying CDs or some kind of physical um, things like buying gold in the stock market. It's a hedge, okay? But it's actually my main way of listening to music. I still like to put the CD in the machine, close the door. And it's 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 almost like a ritual. It's a connection you know, you're to lose it. that quality. Yeah, there's some kind when, of connection you don't get. And when get I go to the streaming. shelf, you know, almost every CD among the thousands that I have, I can pretty much remember when and where I was when yeah, I bought it. That's another is- issue. It yeah, it brings back me. a memory to me mm-hmm. uh, when I go to it, and uh, you know, so there's that tangible connection with the album notes, and also exactly. you know, these days, you know, I do buy new releases, but I, I pick up a lot in the used stores here in Japan. And, mm. you know, I also notice when I, you know, sometimes I look up on my, you know, smartphone while I'm there or when I come home and I realize I, I find a lot of these releases that uh, not only are they not on streaming, but you couldn't buy them new if you wanted to uh, because they're out of yeah. print and not available any longer. So there, there's a lot of music that has fallen in the cracks uh Right. Uh, in the modern I'm also happy to say so. that at all classical recordings, and not all, um, but almost all, like classical recordings are available on physical media, and a lot of labels don't put their 
music on streaming services or like right. for example like Hyperion Records will stream from their their website but they won't have their music on a streaming service right. so it's a little you know hard to do that but you know you have to go to their site and yeah. you have to know that something came out otherwise because you wouldn't find it on your streaming service actually um, there the- are some cds that you know that we talked about the copeland cd that we really the copeland album symphony three that we really want to hear on cd yeah. i imagine it'll come out eventually but uh maybe it's a great yeah. performance it, it shouldn't just be in the ether somewhere it should be yeah. on somebody's shelf and then you've got, you know, the the worst culprits for not wanting anything on streaming are the Japanese labels, Sony and the Sony, Sony's other the ones. You know, the, if, you know, you weren't going to find Yo-Yo Ma albums on streaming that are on Sony and things like that. And, and that's so wrong. I mean, he's such like a major kind of, you know, yeah. name, you know, and you, you can't get yeah. him on streaming. And, it's really crazy. You know, we look, we use uh, Presto Music a lot to look at things and uh you know they're they're usually in, in very england, they're fantastic. fairly priced for both cd releases and also if you want to do the digital download but yeah they're really good they figured it out take yeah. a look at you know those releases on the japanese uh, direct from sony or onkyo music and right. the prices are sometimes twice as high yeah. and i'm thinking what are they thinking you know uh, mm. even for music that is available on streaming and uh, you're talking about here in japan yeah here in japan yeah um, the, the price and, is really high and, yeah. you know so their mm. their uh their approach is just really hard for me to uh, understand because uh it's it's actually often cheaper to buy something from england and have it shipped to japan than to just buy it from a record store in japan yeah that's crazy or even from amazon it's you know crazy. it's really amazon japan it's really crazy yeah. they just mark it up so much yeah, yeah, so it's a strange world. I think it world. has to do with all the middlemen. Yeah. It's a strange world. Uh, I just yeah. feel, you know, fortunate that uh, a lot of things we can listen to just on streaming before we decide to buy it. And, uh, I mean, imagine that. Imagine when we were, when I was a teenager and I had saved up all my money from my jobs that I was doing and, you know, to buy this uh, stereo equipment and my turntable mm-hmm. Hmm. And things, and someone said, you know, when you get to be an old guy, uh, you're going to have hold something in your hand and point it at your stereo system, and you'll be able to listen to almost any music that was ever recorded in better than the quality you have now, just at the touch of a button. I wouldn't have believed it, you know. Yeah. And uh, yet that's where we are now, with some caveats to that situation. Uh, but who knows where we'll go from here. It's a wild west of. Let's just hope it all recording. gets preserved, you know, whatever, with, I hope so. through whatever's coming, because it's all so fantastic. And it really is a record of our um, existence here on Earth during that period. Yeah, that's, you know, know, that's what I worry periods. about with, you know, any form of culture, books also that are only in the digital realm. Uh, yeah. They're easily erased or disappeared uh, if they're only on yeah. a disc or on a drive or something like that. So. Um, yeah, physical media still has a role to play, I think, in our collections. So yeah. I won't be giving up my disc collection anytime soon. I will not either. And it's kind of a nice thing to be uh, getting old with, actually, just having that music available to you. Yeah, you know? it's always right there. And when the Wi-Fi hope, goes just, out... Uh, just hope my hearing holds out. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> High res? Did you say high res? Uh, no. Anyway, 
I think that'll be yeah. about wrapping it up for this edition. Yeah, I think so. That was great. Adult music, yeah. Strong Good recommendations app. all the way around <laughs> this week. And wishing everyone happy Easter and happy, happy spring. Well, happy Palm Sunday today. Yes, be, if you're we'll, a pagan, week, happy Ishtar or whatever. Next goes week we'll be that. up on Easter. But I guess we could say happy Easter next week. Yeah. Happy Holy Week. And Listen to the passions. To spring the releases, passions. both religious and secular. Yeah. And uh, well, there's there's lots of stuff coming out. We're going to be in no shortage of material to talk about. Yeah, it's really uh, exploding now. And once again, if you've made it to the end of this podcast, uh, please subscribe or send comments. Let us know who you are, where you are. We've got listeners from around the world now and multiple downloads in various countries and locations, but not so much feedback, positive or negative from any location so drop us a line let us know where you're listening from and what you're listening to and, and again please uh, subscribe it helps us yeah subscribe okay. it'll help it us ups our profile help our profile keep us up in the recommended browsing listings on all of the services which will help us get us into the spotlight more where we can take that next step and you never know if you're an early subscriber or, you know, if uh, we wind up getting into the spotlight, uh, there might be some merch for you. We don't know. You know, we don't have any merch now, but, you know, I'm we're talking just, about the future years down just, the line. Uh, gathering momentum as we go yeah. here. Here we go. Haven't missed a week yet. No, and we're nothing to hold us back in sight. I want to do this every day. I kind of like this. <laughs> When we get old and retire, maybe we can do it every maybe day. Maybe we will. Yeah, <laughs> Nothing to do. do we're we'll just going to talk about music every day. Right. Wouldn't be a bad way to go out. Yeah, it wouldn't. This has been That's episode it. seven of Adult Music, your podcasts for music for the mature mind. And we will surely be back next week with some more selections for the spring that will stimulate the intellect and soothe the emotions and bring out all that makes spring worth living for. So see you again next time. Mm -hmm.